All right, welcome everybody to episode 21 of the Bomber Brothers podcast, the Warrior Edition. Sean and Ryan with you again as we continue our trek through the off season. And unlike last week, there isn't any breaking news to report. I guess maybe just some developing rumors of some potential news that could be along the way, Sean. And I think the highlight of it was um, hidden in one of Ken Rosenthal's morning reports on the athletics saying how the Yankees and Mariners briefly discussed a Robinson Cano for Jacoby Ellsbury swap. Yeah, that's, uh, that's something that's interesting. Uh, you got to navigate around both no trade clauses in order to make that happen. Um, that's just the first, th- that would be such a complicated deal, uh, money wise and, uh, no, no trade clause wise. Yeah, it would, but I've, for me, upon reading it, your first reaction is, man, I hope that happens just because the thought of Ellsbury being gone. And But look, you Ellsbury can... has a lot fewer years left than Cano, I believe. Oh, yeah, he, no, he has a lot less. I think mm-hmm. Ellsbury signed through 2022, and Cano would have another three years, I think, after, beyond that. Yeah, but, uh, and, and you're getting to the part of the contract that the Yankees purposely did not want to get into. Um, which is funny because the Yankees turned around and gave Cano's money to Ellsbury, and now we're talking about this. But you know, you're getting to that point in the contract which Cano, uh, which the Yankees didn't want to give Cano, and now they'd be trading for it. Obviously, there'd be other factors at play. Yeah, it's it's interesting. Craig Edwards at Fangraphs wrote about the uh, obstacles of trading Cano for the Mariners, and you know, he went through. Um, he went through the details of Cano's contract and what his war has been over the years and his projected war down the line. And he's been worth every penny of that contract so far. And he's projected to be worth more than what the Mariners have paid him over these 10 years. And, you know, say what you want about the extent of the contract, but he is a phenomenal offensive player, has been one of the best second basemen in baseball for years now of course that's probably not the case anymore as he's getting to his age 35 season but that would be an intriguing ad for the Yankees as a first base slash DH slash fill in at second base while DD's hurt and have Glaber move to second you have that lefty bat back in the lineup one that still has plenty of pop in it you look at his numbers before and after he came back from his suspension last year they were all good OPS plus is over um 115 I believe and so that would, um, again, the Yankees wanted the Mariners to eat some of that money, and the Mariners are looking to dump salary and, and gain assets right now. So that's obviously a huge hurdle for them to climb. But at least for me, I saw it as, as an intriguing reunion in case the Yankees can't make a, a big splash like like a Paul Goldschmidt or a, or a Manny Machado or something like that. Cano would bring some intrigue. Of course, the contract isn't appealing, but still thinking about Cano back in pinstripes was was a nice thought for me uh yeah I know you've always had a you've always liked Cano um love Cano but I'm not a huge Cano guy but I told him as much when I met him actually I I I recall I I, well I told him that if he hustles a little more he could really be a great player and then the next year he was like an MVP candidate so I think I deserve some of the credit um (laughs) Uh, it also might be that the Yankees traded Melky Cabrera away that year, so that that was that might have had something else to do with it. Um, no, I mean, uh, I just uh, get, depending on how much money the Mariners take on and what the Yankees have to attach to Ellsbury in this deal w- would really be the you know be the be all and end all for me. And and something else I can't get around is yeah, Cano's been worth his contract, but Cano also just got busted for PEDs, so who knows. If he starts getting tested more often, or if he, you know he has to stop his regimen of using, what those numbers come back down to earth? We've seen that with guys, where once, um, you know, once the you know the um, steroid uh, issue in baseball started being taken more seriously, we stopped seeing these guys late in their career keep up their value. Andy Pettit. Uh, pitchers are different, <laughs> but I mean, come on, like, come on, how many? How many hitters around the age of forty are still are still productive? No, no, I I agree. I mean, I would I would assume that once Cano gets to those thirty nine and forty years, that is he'll finish with a WAR of you know somewhere around the point five range. But I still think he wouldn't dip down into the negatives by then. And um, 
I, I guess I'm just thinking about it more in the short term. Like, look, they already have a bad contract on the books right now. Right. They have the potential to flip it for another contract that could become bad in the years to come, but also would make them better right now if you flip one of the biggest contract busts in Major League history who offers literally no value except a couple catchers' interferences, and you bring in you know, the, a lefty bat that the Yankees have been have been seeking, one that, you know, current recent numbers and projections indicate that there's plenty left in that bat for the next couple of years, which is when the Yankees' window is, is the most wide open, at least right now. So I, I understand why Cashman would have reached out to Jerry DePoto and then tried to get that done. Now you're hearing reports that uh, the Mets are talking with the Mariners about Cano. That one I can't really seem to understand, but that would be something well, that very would be Mets. The, right, well, they want to get um, Diaz in that trade. That That's another big big piece. They'd be taking on that money so they could get Edwin Diaz, I think. Um, you know, I, I, I don't, you know, I, I understand what you're trying to say, but then, you know, my other point is, Okay, so you get a couple years out of Cano where he's an above-average hitter, and then he just, you know, let's assume he has a normal decline, and you're still paying for, let's say, three years of intense overpay. I mean, I think Cano will be worth the money on the length of his contract, but not on the length from here out, right? Yeah. So now you're paying this guy $24 million a year? I think that's what it is, 24, yeah. Ellsbury's at 22 or 20, something like that. Right. But you're going to pay him $24 million a year for three years. You wouldn't have had to pay Ellsbury. Mm -hmm. And at this point in time, you're going to be having to lock up Aaron Judge. You're going to um, want to look at locking up Luis Severino, I assume. Um, I'd rather be having to negotiate with these guys knowing I have a Manny Machado that I'm paying that kind of money or it's $6 million more a year or two than, oh, I'm trying to negotiate with these guys and I also have this dead weight of a contract on the books now. Where, whereas um, if, if you have a superstar, then at least you have a bit of a safety net. So, uh, I mean, for me, it, it, I'm looking to the future and looking to try to keep the core together. And I think having Cano on the books could, could hinder that in, in the future. If you're going for two years and then, you know, kind of like whatever, then, then yeah, it makes sense. Yeah, and there's, I don't think there's any way Cano would talk about restructuring that contract. He's getting paid a ton of money and would like to keep doing so. And But no, yeah. if, if the yeah, Yankees are... You can't are, really restructure it anyway. I mean, you can't put more years on it. He's going to be, what, 40 when it expires? Yeah, so that's that's a dead end. But, if, if they, yeah, of course, if they use that money to go get a Manny Machado and a Patrick Corbin, then, of course, that's fine with all Yankees fans and then Cano becomes far less of a need it's just it it, it is an intriguing way to make yourself better in the present term and get rid of what's just been a complete nightmare and what what I would consider to be the worst contract the Yankees have ever have ever signed someone for Um, yeah it's probably worse than Pavano I think it's worse than Pavano yeah yeah it is so. But that's another nightmare to bring up. One person that the Yankees hope doesn't become a Carl Pavano type should they sign him is Patrick Corbin. And Corbin... Do not let him leave the Bronx tomorrow. Yeah. That's, that's the mission. <laughs> he is visiting New York, has <laughs> has also told the Mets that he that he won't be... Or I don't know if, he has, if he's told them this, but there's just news that he's not going to be visiting the Mets while he's in New York. Not that anyone would expect that. But... Um, but Corbin is going to be in the Bronx, and hopefully Cashman and Steinbrenner have the red carpet laid out. And and like you said, hopefully by the time he gets there after their meeting, he decides that he wants to stay. But you know how how pivotal is something like this when the player comes to New York to meet, and then it's time for him to be wooed. I'm so ready for pa- um, for I almost said Paxton, excuse me, for Corbin to get signed. That I saw John Heyman tweet that he'd be visiting the Bronx, and he he used some word with a P. I thought, exa- I, yeah, I was reading it quickly, and I thought it said physical, and I'm like, oh my god, they got him. But I like wasn't surprised. I was just like, yes, yeah, I think it's gonna happen. I mean, he's wanted to be a Yankee his whole life. He was vocal about that at the beginning of the year. Um, or um, was that last year? It was this year, right? The beginning of the year, he made those comments. Pretty sure, yeah. I think it'll be a bidding war between the Yankees and Phillies. Um, and 
honestly, I think if the Yankees are within, let's say, $2 million a year, they probably get him. Here's the tweet, because I had the same reaction when I saw it. Patrick Corbin is coming to New York. That's the first part of the yeah, tweet. And yeah. as you're reading it, you're like, oh, here we go. And then it goes tomorrow for a visit with the Yankees. <laughs> so, um, I, Yeah, I, w- I was um, – yeah, I think I was in the Uber home from the airport. I was, I was like, oh. <laughs> you were like, what? <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, Corbin, we've we've talked about him multiple weeks now he would be a huge get for the Yankees that that three-headed King Ghidra like monster at the top of the rotation of Severino Paxton and Corbin I mean that that would immediately go up among the best in baseball with with you know teams like the Indians who might not have that same rotation by the end of the offseason so the Yankees would immediately become one of the best starting rotations in baseball after that being considered their Achilles heel heading into last season yeah, I mean, that puts them over the top rotation-wise for sure. I mean, if you can roll out Paxton, Severino, um, th- then um, Corbin and Tanaka and CeCe, I mean, whew, that that's awesome. I mean, I said it last week, but you're going every four out of the five days, you're not hoping like that something crazy happens to get a win because in baseball anything can happen, but obviously sometimes something weird has to happen. We're talking about with like the Sonny Gray versus Chris Sale. You just go into that game knowing you're 99.9% going to lose. But with those four guys, you're going in thinking, I at least got a 50-50 shot at the very worst. I mean, even when you're going up the other team's best. I mean, there's going to be so many games where it's just like you're excited to go to the ballpark because you know you're going to see a great pitch game by by one of those four guys. And if you're seeing CeCe, you know you're going to see, you know, the guy who battles. And that'd be such an exciting rotation to watch. It it would be like the 90s teams, early 2000s, where they had really exciting rotation where you, no matter who you went to go see pitch that day, you were happy. Yeah, and and hopefully if if Corbin chooses the Yankees and really lengthens that rotation, it takes the pressure off him and arms like Paxton who will be trying to you know be at his best with his first year in New York and Severino's trying to prove that that second half slide was just a fluke so you know the deeper and more prominent that rotation gets hopefully it eases some of the pressure off those other arms and they're all able to um really thrive off of each other and I mean speaking yeah yeah, sorry sorry. go ahead I was gonna say speaking of taking pressure off the arms now we know aside from um uh, aside from Corbin, that Odovino. Am I pronouncing that right, or is it Odovino? Odovino. I think it was. O- I thought it was Odovino. Odovino uh, has also wanted to be a Yankee. Do you think the Yankees kind of do like a Miami Heat, and they kind of convince both of them, look, take like a couple million less, and then we can fit in <laughs> the both of you and Machado, and then you kind of have like this super team, and you grew up Yankee fans, you'll win the World Series. I mean, that that would intrigue me, but I'm like a die like I'm a diehard Yankee fan, and I've never had the opportunity to make hundreds of millions of dollars so i mean you think about it if they could get him the the two of them the bullpen and the and the rotation are are super elite right there yeah well i think there's a couple different factors one the nba kind of has their salary salary cap to use as more leverage for something like that and it's also the yankees who have beside you know aside from their luxury tax narrative that they've clung to for the last couple of years it's still the yankees they have a ton of money and I also think if you look at you know the size of the contracts and how quick relievers came off the free agent market last year I think Odovito knows that you know despite some injury concerns he's going to get paid and and they had you haven't really heard much about the Yankees interest in Odovino it was kind of buried in a Joel Sherman story mm-hmm. a couple days ago that the Yankees were looking at Odovino so I don't see how they couldn't at least seriously consider him especially because David Robertson's not locked up yet Zach Britton wants closer money which means he'll probably wind up somewhere else so you know they they'd need another arm there in in the bullpen I don't so I guess to answer your question in terms of my opinion I don't think that they would be able to pull off that Miami Heat type uh type situation even though both of them have expressed desire to be in New York yeah, yeah, that, that, that's fair. Yeah, I mean, I with D-Rob, it's, I mean, there's even more coming out about that behind-the-scenes 
the scene behind the scenes vote thing that happened with the playoff shares, um, which is, um, you know, that that's, there seems to be a lot of negative momentum that, that there wasn't. We touched on that last week and they, they need to add a, an arm in the bullpen. I know Andrew Miller was talking to the Mets. I'm not sure if a reunion with him makes sense because health is a big concern there. Uh, maybe if you get him on a short term deal, but um, they definitely need to add somebody. And I mean, if they could put Odovino, there that that'd be great but we'll see what happens you know we've uh we've brought up the mets a couple times in this uh uh-huh. in this podcast already i was looking at john Heyman's twitter as i was trying to find the corbin tweet uh just about an hour ago he tweeted that chili davis former yankee legend is gonna be the mets next hitting coach so maybe there's yeah, hope for that. that well i mean the cubs seem to hate him yeah <laughs> um but uh yeah i mean you know, Chili had some really nice moments as a Yankee for only only guy that I ever heard dad cheer for yeah. up until I was, you know, I don't know. It was weird. The first, what, four games or three games that our father took us to, he never cheered except for when Chili Davis came up in the ninth inning against the Mets. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> Roger Clemens gave up two bombs that, that day, one to Piazza, one to Olerud. That was in 99, right? 99. I think it was July 9th. Yeah. i say. Yeah, Sounds about so, right. Yeah, but uh, yeah, that that's it's an interest, interesting, uh, interesting move. But the Mets also um, they they just got what's his name? Um, uh, what analytic guy did they get? I forget. I'm surprised oh, already. A Lard Baird. Oh, okay. Um, which. I mean, they're starting to make some smart moves. I, I'm kind of surprised because it's the Mets, but yeah, they seem like they, they, they're starting to figure out, which is good. I mean, I'm not one of the Yankee fans that hate the Mets like that. I think it's really good for baseball when they're both good and competitive. Um, it will never be their city like they put on the front page at, on opening day last year. <laughs> uh, and we, we showed them that pretty quickly. But I, I like it when both teams are competitive. It makes it really fun. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um... Also, something we need to touch on, which was kind of recent news, is the uh, we're going to have to pour one out for Ronald Torres as he is moving on to Chicago, where Chili Davis won't be his hitting coach. And um, it's for a player to be named later. Fingers crossed that it's Anthony Rizzo. And uh, <laughs> but um, what's your what's your reaction to not having Toe in the dugout anymore? Farewell, Toe. I'm going to miss the Toe Night Show. Um, that was that was really fun. I mean, you know, that whole run, that whole ride at the end of the year was fun. I was texting with you about that the other day. Um, yeah, I, I'm going to miss Therese, but at the same time, I think there's plenty of utility men they can grab um, that would be just as good. And, um, I mean, if we're going to talk about the um, – you know the clubhouse and, and everything like that. I think the Yankees have plenty of guys that are that are favorites there, so I'm not too worried about that. It, um, I'm surprised that the Yankees did it though. I, I really don't understand the necessity of it all. That that I don't get. Like, do they think they're? I mean, they could upgrade, but do they think they're going to upgrade? Maybe it was more that was. I, I would have to look into it, but I think this is his first year eligible for arbitration. Mm-hmm. Not not sure if he had any options. Oh, no, no. I think he still had options left, but Luis Sessa didn't have any options left. So maybe that was why they um, went out and got Parker Bridwell to maybe become a Sessa type and hope that he can become something better because I don't want another Sessa type. But, I was going to um, say, if we yeah. lost the race, it's a goddamn Luis Sessa. <laughs> no, but I think it, he was first year arbitration eligible. So the Yankees probably just figured as much as he's beloved in the clubhouse, he really didn't have room on the major league roster after a while last year and i guess i guess the only um confusing part would be because of dd that maybe they would need that infield depth but i don't know uh, they, they're still so high on wade i was yeah i was just gonna say um i think who was who was it uh nick stellini that brought up uh tyler wade and said how the yankees were still really high on him because of his spring training last year and thought he was maybe battling some illness and injuries last year when he uh, came up to the big leagues. So I, I don't know. Well, obviously, we haven't seen much, um, but they. Would, I think. Yeah, sorry. They would know more than us. I think every guy we took a picture with on photo day is now gone, except for Sanchez. Um. Yeah. Well, Pe- I, I Pena, got Girardi, Holiday, 
Headley. Therese. Therese. <laughs> well, I got there before you, so I still have uh, Dellen and um, and oh. Dee Dee. Okay. So it's me that's the problem. Yeah. That's what you're trying to say. I didn't want to say anything. But... <laughs> um, that's fair. All right. So that's pretty much everything that's going on in, in Yankee land right now. Hopefully some more stuff. Um, what, what about, uh, I saw Bumgarner, uh, it's going to be flooded out there. Do you have any interest in no, that? No, I don't. The Yankees don't get, all right. I have. That makes it easy. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it. His, his, uh, fastball velocity just keeps dropping. I mean, even before these injuries, which are freak injuries, the, yeah. what was it? The four wheeling accident. And then, um, I don't even remember what the other one was, but it was definitely. Timmy Terry had a similar accident. <laughs> Our cousin Timmy. Yeah. Um, but yeah, his his fastball velocity's down. He's been getting hit a lot harder, and mm-hmm. I mean it's a clear downward trend over the past four years or so. And and you also have to remember, just because of you know he's held in such high regard because of his incredible postseason and his ability or or, or willingness to be a workhorse and and eat up innings when need be. That's also helped him rack up some of the. Um, most innings pitched for someone his age. So there's a lot of miles on that arm that's already seeing diminished velocity. And look, I get there's a lot of sexiness to the name and, and the track record that he has. But but if, if you're concerned about Cano's production diminishing o- over the next few years, I'd be even more concerned about Bumgarner's. Well, he only has one year left on his deal. But yeah, well, no, con- I agree. Contract I figures aside, I just meant strictly as a player. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay. Well, what about you? Uh, no, I, I mean, I, I agree with you. I've always been a huge fan um, of Bumgarner, um, but it's not, you know, this this would have been awesome a couple of years ago, but it's it's not the time anymore, unfortunately. So that's it. Another guy I was always high on for the Giants who seems to have kind of fallen off was, was Brandon Belt, but he would he would have been a good fit if he was still producing, but it is what it is. I think, I think Brandon Cuddy put him on his list of potential under-the-radar targets for the Yankees this offseason. I think it was Cuddy. I, I would have to double-check, but I, I definitely remember reading his name in one of those under-the-radar picks. Yeah, but you go OPS last three years, 868-823-756. I mean, that's that's not the right direction. No. OPS plus 135-115-108. That's not what you want out of your first baseman. Well, someone who we have Greg Bird, he could do that. Yeah, I hope. are you are you sure? <laughs> we'll we'll uh, find out if he's healthy. Maybe if the Yankees trade Ellsbury, um, you know, the demons will be lifted from the whole team, and Bird can come back. But we'll see. What do you think about that? Actually, I know we got some time to fill. Um, do you think the Yankees should be looking for first baseman, or do you think? Um, they should roll with um, Bird and Voigt and see what happens there. Because there are two options where we've both seen major league players there, but not for an extended period of time in either case. And in Bird's case, we haven't seen it um, for a full season since the end of 2017. Yeah, it's it's tough. Like the, the market for first baseman isn't what it once was. So, And then you have the Diamondbacks who might be trying to package a guy like Zach Greinke with, with Goldschmidt. Um, just because of all the money he's owed. So I would love to get a guy like Goldschmidt to play first base if, if a trade like that could be pulled off. Um, but I think I'd also be okay with at least starting the season with Bird and Voight and, and seeing what you have. Maybe a kind of platoon throwing Bird against righties and, and vice versa with Voight and, and see if you can... Um, and just see what you have over the first few months, and hopefully you, you have a good answer by the time Didi comes back. And this is this is based on my hope and assumption that the Yankees will land Manny Machado. So if Didi were to come back in that situation, then you can slide over Machado to third and hopefully groom Andujar into some kind of first baseman because I just don't see him being um, an above oh, average third baseman. Or yeah, a, a left fielder would be tough too, but. You know, we, we've said so many times, you know, now that Bird's healthy, now that Bird's healthy. Well, he was healthy after a while last year, and then the... Made me sick, though. Yeah, and then the excuse was, well, he's been out so long, he just needs to shake the rust off, and that still didn't work. Obviously, the it, it's so frustrating, because we've seen the potential. We saw him in 2015. When he came back in 2017, he went on a, you know, 40-plus home run pace in the final... Uh, month of the regular season 
and then tore it up in the playoffs. So you want to believe it, just because he's so, just because he'd be so vital to a right-handed heavy team, and um, and then Voit, you know, can he be a regular producer? I'm sure not at the level that he was producing down the stretch, but I mean, the Yankees won a hundred games last year without a sure, steady first baseman, and they made the playoffs in 2017 with Chris Carter playing a lot of first base. So even if Voigt can be average, I still think the Yankees would be okay. Uh, I agree, and I one of the things I liked about Voigt that we saw Bird lose, I think, as he pressed, was that Voigt has a really good eye at the plate, mm-hmm. and that's something, too, that doesn't go in, usually doesn't go into a slump. So... Um, I'm more prone to think that Voight could repeat at least um, a major league quality for as a major league quality first baseman, just for his raw power and his patience. Um, defensively, big issues there, but that's you know that's not what I mean. Um, you know, I'm trying to sort out this infield puzzle in my head now that Torres uh, is gone. Do you think that opens the door for uh, Neil Walker to stick around? I mean, I, I, I like Neil Walker. I think he's a useful player. He could play three positions in the infield. Um, and especially with Didi out, I mean, if you don't get Machado, you could put Neil Walker at second base. Or he could play first base when Didi comes back, too. It's a decent lefty bat. Yeah, I think his versatility is definitely attractive. And he, and he played well down down the stretch. I think he was someone where you could say that he just needed to shake off the rust, unlike Bird, who wound up not proving that to be true. But Walker missed a lot of time um, getting ready before the season because he was such a late pickup, and then he started off slow and then uh, seemed to really pick things up coming down the stretch. And you know, maybe that's something the Yankees address if they if Machado does officially go somewhere else and they kind of have that in their <clears throat> in their back pocket as a as a possibility but I think his versatility as long as he's able to produce somewhat offensively would definitely be of value given the Yankees current infield situation and and going back to Voigt for a second um I definitely think it would be huge if he can keep up that opposite field power which is one of the mm-hmm. one of the reasons why uh, Cashman and the Yankees coveted Voight in that in that deal, um, and then essentially, if, if he can if he can go to right field more and feast on that short porch, and we've seen the power to to the opposite field for Voight, then you know then all of a sudden losing that lefty bat of Bird becomes less of a big deal, especially if he's not producing. Yeah, it's just tough when you're facing a lot of right-handed pitchers when you have it already lined up. But yeah. Yankees seem to do fine there, and yeah, I, you know I'm thinking about who they could get, and you either have you know, you have Murphy out there. He's a better hitter than Neil Walker, but Murphy seems to be on a, a pretty, you know, he seems to have lost a step last year and um, Walker's much better defensively too. So in a utility man, you want at least that steadiness um, on defense. So it's just something I've thought of while we were talking. And, and Murphy's also just kind of a dick that I don't really. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we've already got Chapman. Just yeah. leave it at that. That's, that's very fair. I agree. Uh, you know, Neil Walker just didn't understand why no Syndergaard wasn't going to win. That's all. Uh, if Larry had come and talked to us before the, before the game. <laughs> that's so good. You got the sage veteran in there. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I like Walker. He seems like a like a, a good hitter, especially in Yankee Stadium. The switch hitter and you have the lefty at-bats. But, anyway, it's, it's really interesting and, and, I mean, kind of intriguing because you're kind of seeing the rotation take shape. And I think this Corbin thing is going to end during the winter meetings because it seems like he's being aggressive and, and going around to all these cities and making these meetings happen. So I think he wants to get this over with and get ready to go. So I think the Yankees rotation will have some semblance of finality as we head into uh, the winter meetings here or, or get out of them. And then you have this whole kind of, you have this whole um, puzzle of what's the infield going to look like and what's the outfield going to look like, because we don't have an everyday left fielder right now. Yeah, because ideally you would want Stanton to DH a lot and and get some rest. And I, I think I was about to bring this up earlier, but now I can't even remember if I did. But we're talking about the Giants earlier. The Yankees got Andrew McCutcheon from the Giants last year, and he performed really well. I mean, I, that could be another dark yeah. horse Neil Walker like candidate to come back for a discounted one year deal. And if he you know if he stays at the top of that lineup and keeps drawing those full counts and puts up that 850 OPS that he was uh, keeping up with the Yankees last year. I think the Yankees would be more than happy to have him back. Absolutely. I agree with you. I think, um, 
I think he did a good job while he was here. He shows a lot of patience. I love how he gets pumped up when he walks. Yes. Uh, that's, you know, that that's definitely very exciting. Sets the tone <laughs> at the beginning of the game. And, uh, yeah, he's, he, you know, he's a good piece as long as they're not paying him for his previous production, which, you know, the Yankees aren't silly enough to do. Uh, definitely good option out there in left field. But like I said, it's just it's really interesting as to what's going to happen because you have Harper sitting out there. Um, you have Machado out there for the infield. So you're thinking the Yankees are going to reel in one of these fish, and it's just a matter of which one. Um, and uh, and we'll see. I know I think we both agree that uh, Machado is the smarter choice for the Yankees to make. Um I think we're both on the page where if they got Harper, we'd think, well, that's not exactly the ideal move, but we'd both be on board with it. Yeah, I think uh, I think Machado's the way to go for me, and I think if the Yankees got Harper, I wouldn't, my jaw wouldn't hit the floor, but I would be a little surprised. And um, that's kind of our non-current news topic that we wanted to talk about here this week is the most surprising moves that the Yankees have made in their history, or at least our, you know, our lifetime of being Yankee fans and those moves that kind of shocked us the most over the years. And we'll see if we get one of those via Brian Cashman this year. But um, to start things off, what's a, what's, what's a move the Yankees have made in the past, whether it have been by free agent signing or trade that you, you know, kind of had to do a double take at the TV and had no idea it was coming. Um, so good or bad? Yeah. Uh, Ellsbury, that one, I said, what the hell just happened? I mean, that was so shocking to me and, uh, upsetting. That was one of the ones that I don't even think I tried. Cause I, you know, I usually try to defend the Yankees. Uh, I couldn't even try. Uh, that was, that was awful. And I was, I was so shocked when it happened. Um, I was really upset. Yeah, no, I agree. That was, I, I still remember when I heard that and I was still mad about the Cano situation and I don't know, like everyone, it's funny. We all debated as, is it the worst contract the Yankees have ever signed? And it almost felt like when you first heard about it, you immediately thought that it had the potential to become the worst contract the Yankees Mm -hmm. ever signed. And um, so in terms of, in terms of the signing itself, it was a huge surprise, but in terms of how it panned out, I really think it was quite the opposite. Yeah. Yeah. Um, another one that comes to mind, um, and this is kind of minor, but when they gave Headley that four year deal, <laughs> I remember waking up in the middle of the night and like checking it because it happened late. I think they had the, the winter meetings weren't on the West Coast that year. And I, w- I woke up and I saw like the Yankees sign Chase Headley to a four year deal. I was like, four years for like 13 million. I was like, oh my God, this is the big thing this, this offseason. Give me a break. Um, but I would say the, the the other trade to me that was, uh, you know, I'll try to get the negative out of the way, um, that was very upsetting was when they made the trade. Uh, and then the following year when they signed uh, Chapman, yeah. that both times uh, made my stomach turn. Yeah, that was it. It definitely made you feel a little more uneasy about rooting for them. And, you know, Chapman's on the mound at the end of every game or of every win. And you want to clap, and then you're like, oh. And then you think about how they got him for pennies on the dollar for, you know, some very uneasy reasons, basically. So mm-hmm. that, yeah, that that uh, that one was uh, I, I would I would chalk that one up more disappointing than surprising, but it was definitely yeah. it was definitely both. Um, the first the first time I was shocked. Um, yeah, but the second time you, the, the the writing was there. How do you? How do you cope with that? Like, well, I guess cope is a strong word, but how do you reconcile with that? Because, I mean, I've, I kind of have my own thoughts on it, but like, you know, obviously, but neither of us, um, you know, we, we both condemn pretty strongly, uh, obviously what Chapman did and, and we have our feelings about him, but how do you, how do you reckon with him being on the mound at the end of a playoff game and you're going nuts because you want the Yankees to win, but at the same time, you're just like, this guy's a scumbag. Yeah. Like, um, I think, I think the, the ALDS was a good example when um, he gets the strikeout and ends the game. He yells whatever the hell <laughs> he was yelling uh, yeah. after the strikeout, and um, and I think by that time I had coped with it enough to realize that you know I'm not going to let him ruin my experience of my team being on this incredible run. So I'm just going to focus my attention on all the other players. So instead of you know, like at the wild card game, instead of 
focusing my attention to the mound. I just watched Aaron Judge run in from right field celebrating and the other guys that were so easy so that were so likable. And mm-hmm. um but yeah, at first I remember writing this huge uh post on Pinstripe Alley. I still was fairly new there when they uh when they brought Chapman in and it definitely got a lot of uh a lot of traction and a lot of hate too because because um people were saying that I have no right to make them feel bad about cheering for Chapman. I don't make you do anything. That's your choice. I was just saying that it changes the way I root for the Yankees in a little bit because you feel a little a little dirtier, I, I guess for lack of a better word, um, mm-hmm. especially when you're used to cheering for Mariano Rivera as the closer, who was... Um, Dude built a church. Yeah, he was one of the best people that you could possibly want to root for as a member of your favorite team, so... Oh, that's all I have to say about that. Yeah, I, I agree with you. This was the, the first time like that I can remember where you had a Yankee who was currently playing. You found out something really, really terrible had uh, had gone down. I mean, the Chuck Knobloch stuff, uh, the Jim Lehrer stuff, Chad Curtis stuff all happened, um, you know, post post their careers. So this was the first time you had a guy on their team. And, you know, I kind of reconcile it with I've, I've you know been a Yankee fan my whole life. I don't root for the Yankee ownership. I don't root for Brian Cashman. I root for the Yankees. So I, I'm not going to allow the ownership and Brian Cashman, um, and Araldis Chapman to take something away from me, um, because they did something that I think is despicable and kind of like you, like I'm rooting for the Yankees to win the game. I'm not rooting for Chapman to blow to get the save and I'm, I'm usually threatening him like you <laughs> son of a bitch i don't even want you here you better nail down the save and sometimes he does and sometimes he doesn't but that that's just kind of i guess my way of my outlet yeah um, there and he but anyway, always I, makes it interesting yeah i didn't mean to drive you off topic it's just something i'm, I'm curious about because i kind of have my own way of dealing with that no that's that's a good topic it's one that yankee fans you know have to deal with for the next couple of years seemingly because of that five-year contract um I, I was surprised at the length of the contract. Like you said, the writing was on the wall, but I was surprised at the length of the contract just because at the time it felt like the Yankees were in a rebuilding mode. Obviously, it happened a lot faster than any of us anticipated, but the length of the contract almost felt like by the time it was up is when the Yankees were expecting to be at their prime peak contention. But anyway, moving on, um, I would... Well, first, let's just get this obvious one out of the way because it was the most recent one. I think Stan- the Stanton trade was a huge shock. I mean, it it was it was started to simmer a little bit. Um, like the twelve hours from when the rumor started to when it was yeah. confirmed, I got nothing done. Yeah, <laughs> except Twitter. I remember I was like, I was like laying in bed. It, it had gotten to like three in the morning, and anytime like I heard my phone vibrate, I wasn't sure if it was like a notification or if it was just like the Pinstripe Valley Slack channel just asking like when it was going to happen. But that was definitely a shocker and um, one that you were certainly pumped up about when you found out about it. I think that was a good, good surprise. I, I agree. I, I definitely think thought it was a clunky fit, but at the same time, I was happy to get to watch Stanton play every day. Um, definitely noticed a lot about him since he started playing every day, but not all of it being good, but um, still excited to see what happens in his, his second year for sure. And that that was a good surprise. Um, another, another really good one um, to me, uh, one of my favorites, um, I'll just get this out of the way now, yeah, I was, know it's coming. Yes, yeah, I think <laughs> it was just uh, like New Year's Eve 2005. Uh, Tim Martinez come back to the Yankees, and he made that sick diving catch his first game back. I think on on opening night, I was there in the right field bleachers. I had little binoculars, and uh, I was looking in the dugout after every inning to see if Tino got like his glove ready with the ball in it. So I knew he was going to be coming out. I was pumped up. Uh, but yeah, that was awesome. But yeah, when Tino came back, that shot that surprised me. I started screaming and yelling, and uh, I, I was really happy. Um, when Tino left and they got Giambi, that was like my first time realizing like this could suck sometimes. Sort <laughs> of like like you know like baseball could hurt you. Uh, and when he came back, it was it was it was just so cool. And then to see you know the home run tear and everything like that. But what's what's your favorite? trade or signing in your 
your fandom. Like that mine is the easy one because my favorite player came back. Jeter never left. So what's your favorite? Hmm. That's a good question. One that I haven't ever really thought about. I guess I would say when Pettit Andy came back. Pettit. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> yeah, when Pettit came back was probably when I was the most pumped up, and it you know became which his... time? <laughs> I, uh, I guess I the, the first time. The first time. Okay. All right. Yeah. I was gonna say the second time. Well, when he comes back from retirement, yeah. Um, I think the first time I was the most pumped up, just because I was more confident that he had more in the tank then. But he proved me wrong anyway when he came back the second time because he was still great. He and was that's filthy why, in 2012, and that's why we love Pettit. Um, but this this one was a shocker for me. This is another one where I think it happened in, in the wee hours of the morning or the really late hours of the night. Um, Johnny Damon, because, you know, he had been pretty like vocal about saying he would never play for the Yankees. He was a Red Sox for life. And then you also had Brian Cashman talking about how he was good with Bubba Crosby as a as Bubba his Crosby's outfielder. Our outfielder yeah. yeah, and then I don't. That one seemed to come out of nowhere for me. Yeah, that was um, I, I I was kind of lukewarm on that at the time because of um, everything that happened <laughs> uh, in 2004. But I really liked Damon as a Yankee. Um, but yeah, that, that that was sure surely a surprising one. But at the same time, I usually I don't know Yankees like to stick it to the Red Sox. So you know, I, I think. The Ellsbury one was stupid. The Damon one seemed to work out. I thought he provided the Yankees really good value over the length of his contract. Oh, absolutely. And we thank him for 2009. And um, and I, the last one that I had um, in my uh, mental memory bank, another former Red Sox, but I thought it was kind of shocking when the Yankees traded for Roger Clemens in, in 99. You had, you had David Wells, who was so good in 98. He was the ALCS MVP. And then all of a sudden, him and Homer Bush are shipped off to Toronto, and here comes Roger Clemens, and obviously he he pitches fantastic, and the Yankees win another World Series. But um, that that was definitely one that um, I did not expect. Yeah, that that was kind of upsetting because you kind of grew to love Wells after the perfect game and everything and his thing, but then they go out and get Roger Clemens, who the year before was thrown at the Yankees left and right. Yeah. So that was definitely a really surprising one, and. Um, yeah, it wound up working out because, you know, Clemens got his steroid guy to New York the year after, and then, then he turned things around. Yeah, and I and guess... He, he, and he robbed me seen of the Cy Young in 2001. <laughs> that he did. And uh, I guess Cashman thought the most efficient way to protect his players from getting thrown at was to get the guy who was throwing at him. Yeah, um, absolutely. Yeah, that, that definitely. Um, a couple other ones that stuck out to me, I actually... Um, maybe not surprising, but there were definitely rumors that CC wasn't going to come to the East Coast, and he's a clubhouse guy. When they got CC, I was I was super pumped. And actually, you know what? When they got to Shara, I remember where I was, and I went nuts because I I thought they needed another bat. And when they got Tex, I was I was walking out of a pizzeria Uno with she was my girlfriend at the time, my my now wife, <laughs> and I went crazy and I called Grandpa Smitty because he thought the Red Sox were going to get him. And uh, I was, you know, I was so happy because I, I really wanted them to get Tex. I was really excited. I want to get his jersey and everything. That probably is one of the one of the top five for me was when they snagged Teixeira. I, I would put it in the top five for me, too. Um, I loved um, watching him even before he came to the Yankees and just that switch hitting bat and that great glove at, at first base. You just you thought about the Yankees like him that came before him, like Mattingly and, and Tino and were you know, for me, I thought Teixeira was, you know, the best set of that group yep. and uh, definitely would have put the Yankees over the top. I remember going out and getting a Teixeira jersey the very next day. And um, I remember being with our beloved Grandpa Smitty the very next day, um, who is the biggest Red Sox fan we know. He was and, mad. Uh, that was one of the grumpiest I'd ever seen him. He was yeah. uh, he, he looked actually defeated. And then he wound up talking a bunch of crap as the year went on because the Red Sox won the first, I think, eight games against the Yankees in 2009. And then and then Teixeira and the Yankees woke up. Yeah, and Teixeira was a big part of that in that four-game sweep at Yankee Stadium. Um, he had a big series, including that home run off of uh, Daniel Bard. Daniel that Bard. Series. Yeah, that was that was that was a good game. I was at that game. Um, yeah, but, you know, I'm thinking back on it. There's like a lot of them, and it, like the Granderson trade. I loved Granderson before he came over. I loved him even more after he did. Like stuff like that. Uh, it's fun, and I'm looking forward. I'm looking forward to to more of it. Um, 
to kind of switch gears really quick, are there any uh, maybe moves that you were not super excited about or thought were a mistake that, you know what, Cashman knew what he was talking about and I didn't kind of thing? Hmm. I know one well, that sticks out to I mean, me. I think we can all say Didi. Yes. Yeah. That I think that's probably the most glaring one. Um, a, because my favorite player was gone and they were replacing him with some guy who hit 220 and six home runs or something like that. And he kept hearing about his great glove but not good offense. And in my head, I'm like, you know, Jeter was one of the guys who changed the position with his, you know, great offense and kind of debunked the whole shortstops need to just be good defenders and the bat is just an added bonus. And then it kind of seems like you're going back in time with the DD trade. And then, of course, you know, now Didi is my favorite Yankee and is just hoping he comes back soon because he has literally gotten better every single year. And how dare they have given up Shane Green, who we saw pitch like <laughs> seven innings in Baltimore and strike out like 10 guys or something. Yep. Yeah. Uh, you know, we never mentioned, and I'll, I'll get back to that, we never mentioned A-Rod, this whole conversation, which well, is... because I don't... Oh, well, yeah. I, I mean, for after he was agreeing the to go to Boston... Time, the first time. The first, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. After he, after he agreed to go to Boston and then to come to New York, that was crazy. I can't believe we didn't bring that up. That might be number one in terms of most shocking, yeah. just because yeah. everything happened so fast. He was going to Boston, then he wasn't. Then Boone got hurt, then he was a Yankee. And just the, trading Soriano, who you really didn't think they were um, going to trade at the time. Maybe they were just fed up with him because of how bad he was in the playoffs that year. But um, mm-hmm. but yeah, I think that would might be number one. Just because, yeah. also, also because of how groundbreaking it was, and he moved to third for Jeter. Yep, who still didn't like him. Oh no, that pop up against the Orioles in that game! Holy smokes! <laughs> but towards the end, it seemed like they kind of settled some things, and you know that that was a the the beginning of the A Rod era was very unenjoyable. Oh four, oh five, oh six. And then he had the monster year in 07, and it seemed to start getting a little bit better, and you started to kind of – he let his character show a little bit more. And then after the suspension oh, – I, I would actually say during the suspension it got really fun, like when he was suing everybody, and then they had the game <laughs> against Baltimore. Like it was really entertaining. It was like Bronx Zoo-like. But, uh, and then at the end, he wound up being a guy that you know most people, most people in Yankee universe like. Um, but yeah, I guess I mean I guess that's pretty much it. Uh, one of the you know one of the trades that um, or one of the signings that I I didn't really understand at the time and wound up working out was um, Abanez. I mm. was kind of like hmm you know it seemed to be on the downside, but he he did a really good job for the Yanks. So I got. All right, well, um, let's keep this tradition going. What non-baseball activity are you looking forward to the most from now until when we record next? Okay, I owe you an apology because last week I really had nothing, but I had something. I was just I was so out of sorts because of the, you know, my wife's dog needing surgery and blowing out her ACL and everything. But last week I actually saw Star Wars live in concert with the New Jersey Orchestra playing the John Williams score behind the movie, which was awesome. And I should have, I should have mentioned that as as something I was looking forward to uh, last week. But anyway, I forgive you. Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, this week I'm going to be cleaning my yard, which has a ton of leaves on it, which then got snowed on. So it, it, um, delayed it. And I'm going to borrow, I'm going to rent a trailer from Home Depot and borrow dad's ride on mower to do all this and bag all the leaves. This is my excitement for this weekend. Are you Will Ferrell from old school? It's going to be a nice little Saturday. Maybe go to Home Depot. Look at some wallpaper. Well, if I work really hard on Saturday, I sit at home and do nothing on Sunday, watch some football. But the way the Dolphins play last Sunday, I don't really want to do that now. See, everyone always says that. I'm the, I'm the opposite. It, if if I, I rent, so I don't have any yard work. But if I were to, I would do it all on Sunday so I can watch football on Saturday. Because my thing to look forward to this week, I know I already used college football last week, but it is my next favorite thing to watch other than baseball and you have the conference championships this week. You have Alabama and Georgia, Ohio That's State true. and Northwestern. And the our Irish are in the playoff. They finished the job last weekend. 
And, that was um, a little nerve-wracking there for a while. It was, it was. But, you know, they traveled 8,000 miles over the last four weeks. I think they were probably a little worn out at the end there. But um, but they got it done, and now it becomes one of the most enjoyable times as a sports fan for me, aside from watching your own team. It's when you already know that your team has taken care of business, and then you can just sit back and objectively enjoy another game that has no emotional bearing on your team. Because, like, you know... As an example, Alabama, Georgia in the in the SEC championship game the year Notre Dame was in it. Exactly that. That's that was that was a great game. But but to bring it to baseball, I you know you you think of times in the playoffs where like the Yankees were playing game one of the ALDS at like a four o'clock game or something, and they win game one, and you and you can kind of relax and be like, all right. You know, my mm-hmm. team won. Now let's just enjoy the seven o'clock games, or so, something like that. Or, or the Yankees already won their wild card game. Now let's sit back and watch the NL wild card game and just enjoy baseball for baseball. Because I think we can both agree, as dedicated fans as we are, sometimes being so into it almost kind of takes away from enjoying it because you're so stressed out a little bit. And um, so this is going to be one of those times where. Everything's uh, decided on on my end, and I'm feeling good about it, and I can just enjoy the game for the game. All right. Well, so that's that's your thing is watching college football on Saturday. That's what you're looking forward to? Yep, that's my thing. I'm looking forward to just being home, honestly. You can make fun of me all you want, but just after being in New Orleans for three days, I'm so glad there's no baseball team there because I never want to go back to that city again. (laughs) Ugh. Well, I guess I'm not going to plan any visits there. I'm telling you. Detroit is like five times as nice for its bad reputation. That's like def- I'm, I'm doing Detroit a disservice by even comparing the two. <laughs> that's interesting. I think that's uh, – if we have, consider that a hot take. If we have a listener from New Orleans, I apologize. But <laughs> I, sure I, was in the, I was in the French Quarter and, and Bourbon Street is just oh, disgusting. All right, well, before you go on a New Orleans rant, I guess we should probably go. And um, thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll, we'll try to have a guest for next week and hopefully some some top more topics to talk about. Hopefully some of these rumors turn into actual uh, news to talk about. So, um, Sean, enjoy your yard work, I guess, and um, I will see you on Wednesday. Can you play the who as the outro for this? I, I, don't, think, I don't think we'll get sued for using Bob O'Reilly. I mean, we used it at my wedding, the who haven't sued me yet. Uh, I'll see if I can pull it up. I'm kind of tired, though. I might just go with the default and get it done. <laughs> I'll see what I, I can do. You're just afraid that you're going to get sued, but okay. <laughs> I, I I understand. All right. All right. Well, hopefully we have some news next week. Winter meetings are coming up, so the stove is going to get hot. And, yeah, that's about it. All right. Well, see you later, everybody. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.